This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Wednesday, 7th of December, 2022. Another really ugly day for equity markets. Uh, no sort of readily apparent proximate trigger, but we did continue lower, sort of cementing this reversal we talked about as we had already we're poking at the 4,000 level on the S&P, a psychological level, and an even bigger level is, is really uh, here and present with this 3,900 area. You can see on slide two in the future, is perhaps a bit more like 3,920. It's the previous major pivot high from back in late October uh, or early November, whatever that particular day was. And you see we've touched down there a couple of times before. And if we're slipping that, and uh, arguably I would say as well, the 21-day moving average, quite interesting. The two closes on either side of that has been a pretty uh, solid trend indicator for many months. Uh, and then below there, something like 37, 34, sort of the 61.8% retracement of this entire rally off a pretty considerable rally from the 3,500 area, uh, which was the October low. And uh, Peter, I think fair to say it's been a pretty uh, ugly session across the board. We, you know, just about every every major theme uh, seeing some some pretty ugly downside. Yeah, the uh, the ISM services uh, index figure was uh, it became the excuse I think to become this uh, pod killer as I wrote in my equity note yesterday um, because it could have been maybe something else because it's if you look at the U.S. ten year yield it hasn't really moved a lot we're still around that three and a half percent the DIX is not jumping uh, a lot either so um, I think it was just uh, I think it was just a good excuse to uh, to take some of the gains off it has been a pretty impressive rally since mid-October in the S&P 500 and also elsewhere. Um, in China, it's uh, we are uh, with 35% from the low. So it's um, I think it was just a good excuse. And now we, we're just trading uh, close to the uh, to the 100-day moving average. If you take the U.S. Uh, index futures, here you have the cash index. We are already below that. One, um, no, we just exactly at the 100-day moving as we should. And I think the 3,900 level is, is sort of the next really big level to uh to to watch as well if we look across the theme baskets um it was very much uh you know the high high uh high growth uh pockets that were that were clubbed yesterday including which i find interesting nuclear power and renewable energy given the electricity price that we see here in europe that should you know on a forward base expectations base it uh improve the profitability of uh, of electricity sources so that i find a little bit uh interesting to say the least uh, but otherwise my sense, my feeling is, and I mean, feel free, John, if you if you have a different view. But to me, it seems like we're just slipping, transitioning into some type of a hibernation. I think everyone is just uh, a little bit. There's a fatigue. This has been one of the most dramatic years I've been with Saxo for twelve years. I thought I had seen the most. I think when I travel around with clients, uh, I think uh, I've put this first slide that this year was just a really a uh, very 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 tough year and i think people are just really tired and <laughs> can we please start a, a new year but i'm not sure that the new year will be be that much more quiet but that's maybe for a, a session we can do uh later this december when we maybe look ahead for what we expect in our different asset classes the next year and i just want to quickly on slide three as well we uh, we didn't put that out um when we rolled into the new month uh but the uh, our valuation model on the uh, on the MSCI world index as you can see here November took the uh, the index back into well above the average and um, that of course is taking the the risk reward ratio uh, in the wrong direction so to speak uh, in the medium terms so I, I think that given the outlook for for margin compression wage pressures earnings potential recession uh, I think that uh, this is uh, is not a good setup for uh, for a good uh, risk reward trade in equities
Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the Chinese market. It was the Hang Seng in particular that was up thirty five percent from the lows and kind of interesting overnight. So you're seeing a, a really a further cementing of this uh, directional path for opening up on COVID policy. Further announcements overnight, and we did see the averages a little bit higher in uh, both in mainland China, Hong Kong, but rolled over quite badly, particularly in the Hang Seng's case. And there was a very key technical uh, spot that was touched or, or, or indicator that was touched. The two hundred day moving average. Uh, touched overnight before that big uh, sell-off and suggests that we are getting sort of running out of steam uh, on the ability for this story to continue to drive risk sentiment. And um, there was also some negative trade data. So exports dropping quite badly uh, from China in November. And, you know, speaking of the China opening up trade, it certainly hasn't been felt in crude oil uh, lately. Although we're, you know, another really ugly session. If you look at where spot crude is, which you have there on on uh, slide five, we're at uh, new lows for the cycle here, almost touching towards the the lows of the entire year. If it want, we're not for the first couple of weeks of January. That's uh, right, John. And the uh, the sentiment has most certainly received quite a bit, taken a bit of a knock this week. We're down nine dollars in uh, just three days. And um, as uh, Peter uh, mentioned, the uh, the strong data we had in in the U.S. on Monday uh, really set the ball uh, rolling or uh, accelerating uh, to the downside. So so at this point in time, the market is primarily focusing on. On the the seasonal weakness in, uh, in demand that we're seeing right now, we got the front end of the curve both in both in WTI and Brent trading in contango. Basically, the spot is being sold harder than the than the the future months, and that's uh, that's adding to the to the unease in the market. We also had a, a bit a couple of other pieces of news, and uh, John mentioned the Chinese trade data. So just before finishing off the Brent, let's just jump down to uh, slide seven. I just put in some of the. And the key commodities, and uh, what we did see overall, as John mentioned, there was a was a drop in the uh, the trade surplus. Both exports and imports uh, dropped. Uh, what didn't drop was the uh, was commodity imports, and uh, also just highlighting the this uh, the recovery that we're starting to see in in, in China. But the question is obviously as well as John mentioned, how much of that has already now by now been baked into to prices. But uh, strong uh, recovery in crude oil imports, and also especially uh, some like copper, which is up ten uh, percent year on year. I just uh, highlighted a couple of the data points from the U.S. We got the weekly inventory report out later today. Uh, API last night reported quite. Another big uh, crude uh, drop in crude stocks, and I think it's. Uh, I just took a took a look uh, took a look at the numbers because it's quite an incredible year we've seen in the U.S. energy market. We've seen crude stocks overall. That's commercial crude stocks up just one million barrel. We've got strategic reserves down two hundred and five million barrels to the lowest level since the eighties. And at the same time, we've got both the gasoline and diesel stocks uh, down quite a bit, primarily due to uh, increased uh, demand from especially Europe, where we are struggling to find uh, fuel uh, from other sources than, uh, than Russia, which is uh, being going to be capped by by early next year. So um, this is basically the setup as we head into to next year. Crude oil stocks at, at relatively low levels, but also demand in, uh, in being put into increasingly put into question. So um, it, it, it just highlights a market which is simply too volatile right now. Um, when we see these big movements, we're just seeing traders increasingly just closing their books. We got open interest in the Brent crude down to a seven-year low. That's not a healthy uh, sign of a market uh, when you get the the total cake diminishing to the, to to that extent. And that just highlights the difficulties in navigating these markets right now. All right. And rewinding a bit to uh, FX. So we, we see kind of an interesting uh, handover the baton for what's driving the dollar from, uh, as Peter alluded to, sort of the ISM services serving as a kind of a, a catalyst for uh, some consolidation after what was quite a move uh, to the downside in the dollar. And we saw U.S. Treasury yields picking up and we saw risk sentiment down, the dollar picking up on that combination, but able to continue higher yesterday, even though the only 
uh, uh, source of support was weak risk sentiment because treasury yields, at least at the long end, did go lower. And in fact, we reached a new uh, record for the cycle, at least record, uh, yield curve inversion, minus 84 uh, basis points overnight for the 210 a yield curve slope. So if we go to slide four, you can see your dollar has sort of rolled over. It's rejected the new highs above the 105 area, but it's not sort of fully reversed that latest wave. Put up a stochastic indicator to sort of indicate where we would need to go. I think we need to follow through below 104 to get a proper consolidation here. And there's quite a nervous wait for the uh, key data points the next week's Tuesday CPI data and then the, the FOMC meeting itself, of course. We saw the yen uh, quite a bit lower overnight, dollar yen uh, managing to pull above the 137.50 area uh, slightly as we have a Bank of Japan member out talking about uh, it's maybe a, a, a risk to uh, look at uh, any further policy tightening right now, further policy tightening, any policy tightening at all, because the, he doesn't see wages as contributing to this latest inflationary episode and that there would be the risk of deflation if they do tighten. Uh, that, uh, of course, uh, very counter to what the, the general drumbeat has been from the Bank of Japan and expectations there. So, but you still need to see another couple of figures higher, I would see, to, to properly reverse that very significant slide in dollar yen. So not really clear case across the board for, for the dollar, some room for some more tactical upside, but then the key test next week. Canadian dollar, Norwegian Krona, as I point out on the FX trends, really weak. We have a Bank of Canada meeting today. Well, the market is divided. So we have the sort of the forwards or the, the swaps market pricing much higher odds of 25 basis points. Uh, after all, there has been a pattern. July, they hiked 100. The following meeting, they hiked 75. And then the following meeting after that, they hiked 50. So why not continue the trend and only hike 25 this time? But uh, analysts looking for plus 50. And the peak for the cycle is only priced at, uh, is actually priced at sub 4.5%. So a 50 basis point move would actually take them to four and a quarter. Uh, I think it's uh, pretty, you know, you could, I think you could slice it either way, but as long as that sort of terminal rate doesn't get adjusted significantly in the forward guidance, I don't think there's a lot to get out of this meeting. And uh, we'll see the Canadian dollar continue to trade more on risk sentiment and crude oil than on anything the Bank of Canada is likely to deliver today. All right, we need to round out the uh, commodity space here. It's been a it's been a head scratcher for me. Uh, although the you know, I guess the long term uh, food supply situation very uncertain with the uh, concern around fertilizer costs. Of course, the, the Ukraine war has disrupted uh, actual ability to to farm wheat and, and get it to export in Ukraine. But we're just continuing to set new uh, new lows here for the cycle. What what gives? Well, what gives is uh, ample supply right now from uh, not least from the Black Sea area where Russia had a record production. Um, wheat is still flowing out of Ukraine. And uh, and that basically means that uh, the uh, as long as they can continue that, they'll see an unseasonal large exports because normally they they get most of the exports done in uh, in in October and uh, November and uh, but with obviously stocks still available they'll continue to uh, to sell into the market so that's weighing on the market also um, news that Australia is about to, uh, to or could potentially be harvesting a, a near record crop uh, which will uh, this is the southern here's uh, southern hemisphere's uh, biggest uh, one of the southern hemisphere's biggest producers of wheat that's basically putting the prices on the pressure, especially in the U.S., where that the strong dollar is leaving it uh, increasingly difficult for for exporters to compete on the global market. So that's why we're seeing this weakness. And uh, as we can see on the price chart, we are we're toying some with some pretty interesting levels here uh, around that seven thirty seven thirty five area. Um, if we do take that out, then there could be some additional weakness, slightly less of a were slightly less 
well, slightly worse, less worse picture, if you can say that, in, in Paris wheat, which is the, the high-protein one, which is used for human consumption. It's down as well, but uh, by now, at, at this stage, it has not corrected as, as uh, drastically as the one we in, in Chicago, which is very much due to uh, the strength of the dollar. All right, let's uh, go back over to the equity market. You've got a few stocks on your watch list. I think it's really interesting, the story we talked about a lot, Peter, uh, yesterday, that TSMC looking... Uh, at a $40 billion investment now. I, don't, I can't remember what the original figure was, but it was 10 or so in new uh, semiconductor fabs in Arizona. Yeah, exactly. And it, it has been underway for some time and we have talked uh, about it on this podcast uh, a lot. The U.S. Chips Act, the biggest, the biggest by far, the biggest industrial policy enacted in the U.S. since World War II. In a very short time period, the U.S. is is uh, is willing and and capable, I think, of moving a large part of the global supply chain of the most advanced uh, semiconductors to either Europe or the U.S. U.S. of course, course being the main the main focus. But what is unique about the U.S. Chips Act is that it it has a lot of incentives for manufacturers also in Europe and in South Korea and Japan to set up production in very specific areas and not trading with China, and they're getting rewarded with that handsome uh, in, in big amounts. And this decision by TSMC is coming off uh, a plea as well from Apple a week ago that they really need more sophisticated chips being produced in the U.S. as well. This uh, Nvidia has expressed similar considerations, and now we're seeing this uh, follow through from TSMC. And I, I jokingly said to you, John, I mean, I wonder whether TSMC one day will become a U.S. company. I mean, set up a headquarter in uh, in Texas, etc. Because the, I mean, when you deploy this much capital in a specific uh, geography. At one point, it actually makes sense to have the uh, the management sitting closer to that uh, that, that physical asset uh, footprint. So, but that's um, that's longer term. But um, and I think that a good spin off of all of this. So the bad spin off, of course, is that we'll have more inflation down the down the road in consumer electronics. That that's one bad side effect of this. Uh, another positive side effect is that I think actually over time it will ease the uh, tensions between the U.S. and China, fun, funny, funny enough, because you you could argue that China feels pretty threatened about this, and they do in the short term, but I think in the medium term, it eases pain points around uh, Taiwan. But that's um, to clarify those points, uh, I think I need a little bit more time, and that's probably for another day. Apple is another stock uh, in focus. They uh, are saying that they're scaling back their, or it's rumored because they it's not really an official news. Uh, it's a very, the project is called Titan and it's very secretive. So it's uh, it's rumors at this point, but that they have scaled back their electric vehicle venture to 2026. And they're also moving away from betting heavily on autonomous vehicle. Their conclusion, according to these rumors, I agree, is that the technology is simply not mature enough. It's very, very complex. Also, the reason why Tesla has never really fulfilled its dream, uh, despite Elon Musk running around uh, selling this pipe dream. Um, so Apple is scaling back. They want now to have a, a normal car with a steering wheel, etc. And they are, according to these rumors, planning to sell EVs at a price point below $100,000. Thank God. Otherwise, I don't think the US middle class would be able to afford uh, <laughs> these cars in droves. And then also another news coming out on Apple is that suppliers, key suppliers here in Asia, uh, saying that the iPhone demand is is still continuing to cooling down or is cooling, still cooling down. Toll Brothers, we mentioned Toll Brothers yesterday, high-end US home builder. They, they beat on both revenue and, and earnings per share, and they they beat for the exact reason I actually have mentioned for two days that there are improvements in the in the growth margin, and they the improvements are bigger than what was thought by by analysts, and that's because the pressure on building materials like lumber etc is coming down in the U.S. and that's why they're seeing uh, some improvement there. The outlook is very stable in the very short term, so the current quarter we're in. 
but the backlog is shrinking uh, pretty fast. So uh, I think the dynamics for for Toll Brothers gets more interesting when we get into there. Uh, the quarter that will end in uh, in April, and then earnings to watch. We talked about Campbell's soup, John, and you mentioned something about where Andy Warhol have made these uh, iconic uh, uh, designs around the, this tin can. And I, I was like, okay, I'm not an American. I had never heard about Campbell's soup before. So I, for the benefit, so for the, I know shame on me. So the, for the benefit of our uh, European and Asian listeners, I put in a, a small picture here on slide nine, so you can see this. I don't know. I would not call it beautiful, but it's um, it's pretty iconic. Iconic, yeah, it's iconic. <laughs> and uh, and as you said, John, it's it's fascinating. You have this company; they do uh, process food in different types, and they snacks, and it's trading in, uh, at an all time high. And I looked at the uh, the expectations today. So the the revenue growth is expected to come in at almost ten percent for the uh, for the previous quarter, which I think, uh, if you back out inflation, is 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 pointing to healthy uh, volume growth. For this company, clearly, I think, benefiting from substitution effects. Um, and then tomorrow, I've talked uh, a lot already. Tomorrow, we'll talk uh, and do a preview of uh, Broadcom, uh, Costco, and Lululemon earnings. All right. We'll look forward to that. And uh, on the macro front, I already highlighted the Bank of Canada coming up today. We have, in all this space, the uh, latest weekly, uh, the EIA, a crude oil and product report. Consumer credit out of the U.S., consumer credit has been booming, uh, by the way. There's uh, often a big run-up in credit ahead of recessions, but what is the timing of that? That is a very inexact science. Reek's house price balance, uh, I believe the prior figure was quite weak in the U.K., obviously some pressure from uh, very sharply higher mortgage rates relative to uh, just months ago and especially a year ago. Uh, and then we round out the week with the PPI out of the U.S. and that uh, Michigan sentiment number. Sorry, did I say tomorrow? I meant Friday. There was so little on the calendar tomorrow. They don't have any highlights. And then it's all about really, I think, for how we finish off the year will be determined by this uh, Tuesday, uh, November CPI print next week and the FOMC meeting. Uh, but uh, to, my, to my mind, quite interesting that animal spirits have gotten to where they've gotten without any notable sort of new uh, catalyst yesterday. Let's see if there's some further follow through. Uh, follow that 3900 area in the S&P. Look at the weekly chart. Uh, you can see on the appendix, actually, in the following slide, slide 11. And you can see that even if we close the week where we are today, we've sort of engulfed the prior three weeks uh, price action and closes. Uh, so a pretty ugly, uh, a pretty ugly week if we close here or lower for the S&P. Uh, but there's some further downside needed to sort of uh, catalyze uh, further selling on a technical basis. All right, that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.